John Briggs Consultancy, leading Australia's reconciliation and Indigenous engagement journey. As a leading specialist in his field of training, consulting and facilitation, John has an exceptional talent for bringing each participant, organisation and audience along on a journey of discovery. He is a master of building cultural safety with any group. John works with audiences of all levels and backgrounds, from senior executives to students and educators. He covers political, legislative and economic pillars to help participants gain a better understanding of Indigenous governance in a holistic framework. John Briggs Consultancy is the exclusive provider and subject matter expert around Indigenous engagement for Coles nationally and he's delivered more than 180 presentations for them since 2011. If you want to find out more about John Briggs Consultancy, please go to www.johnbriggs.net.au or call John Direct on 0417-003-565. From Claire Field and Associates, I'm Claire and I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector. 26 episodes, and this week, another chance to talk about international education. This time with Alex Chevrol, Managing Director of Study Group Australia and New Zealand. Firstly, I want to remind you upfront that if you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, then please take a moment to rate and review us in your favourite podcast app. And you can, of course, also connect with me on Twitter, LinkedIn or on Facebook. Now to my chat with Alex. You'll hear that we got to know each other during my time at ACPET, obviously the former peak body for private higher ed and vet providers on a delegation I led to China. At the time, and it was 2012, 2013, we had established an office in China and were making regular trips with members to help them build relationships, which we hoped would lead to future partnerships and in-country opportunities. As a peak body, we were able to fund half of the costs of this endeavour through the government's export market development grants. And at the time I left ACPET in mid-2014, we had plans to open similar offices in India and then Indonesia. The reason for me taking you on this quick trip down memory lane is twofold. Firstly, international education is going through a period of change as a result of the coronavirus pandemic and providers with a footprint and partnerships offshore are better placed than those who are solely reliant on the onshore delivery model. But secondly, I was listening to Janelle Chapman from TAFE Queensland on an Australia Indonesia Centre podcast this week, talking about how long it takes and the costs involved in building partnerships offshore. I think the peak body office we'd put in place was a simple, important and low-cost member service for our members at ACPET. And I hope that one day we might see those opportunities restarted. In the meantime, 
Here's Alex. And a quick note, though, that there were unfortunately two glitches towards the end of our interview where the technology has overlaid our conversation wrongly, and it sounds like Alex was happily talking over me. Um, he's much too polite to do that. It's definitely a glitch. And unfortunately, one of those glitches happened when he was kindly mentioning how helpful he and his team find my subscription updates on what's happening in the sector. We had to edit that bit out because the overlap was just too noisy, but it was very generous of him to give uh, those updates a plug. And if it's something that you think might be of interest to your organisation, then please feel free to get in touch. And one final thing, don't pay any attention to his memories of a dinner the delegation attended in Chongqing. Everyone was incredibly well behaved. It's my pleasure now to be joined by Alex Chevrol, who's the Managing Director, Australia and New Zealand for Study Group. Um, Alex, our paths have crossed a number of times over the years, uh, but other people might not be familiar with either your background or, you know, the, the responsibilities in your current role. So welcome to the podcast. And can you fill us in a bit on uh, who you are, where you've come from and, and what you do? Thank you very much, Claire. Yes, we have met many times over the years, and it's all been very pleasurable, I must say. Um, yeah, so as you said, I am the Managing Director of Study Group in Australia and New Zealand. And for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Study Group in Australia runs pathway programs for the University of Sydney, the Australian National University, the University of Western Australia and Flinders University and managed campuses for Charles Sturt University in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. And then in New Zealand, we run programs for the University of Auckland and the University of Waikato. Uh, I uh, am delighted to be able to say that I have been in this sector for 25 years this year, uh, which is an interesting coincidence as this is also study group's 25th anniversary worldwide. Uh, you can hear, I'm sure that I'm originally a POM, as I know you are, although well hidden by your accent. Um, but I have, uh, I've only been here for about eight years at this point, but I'm just on the brink of participating in a citizenship ceremony and I will then be able to call myself a very proud naturalized Australian. Uh, I started off, uh, all those years ago as an English teacher taught English in the Czech Republic uh, just after the Velvet Revolution, overthrew the communist regime, which had been in power since the end of the Second World War, for those of us who are old enough to re remember back that far. Uh, and then I worked in Finland for a number of years. Uh, then I worked as a teacher trainer for a Danish-based ba Danish aid organization in Mozambique. Uh, after that, I worked with a large chain of language schools for a number of years in China and then Indonesia and the UK. Uh, and I ended up running their pathway in high school business uh, in the UK. So that's got into this part of the sector that I'm in now. Um, when the global financial crisis hit in 2008, I went back to China and then I worked in a, a sales role for one of Study Group's biggest global competitors. Uh, before I came to Australia uh, in around the end of 2012 and worked as the as the director of quite a large private 
higher education provider, which has got campuses uh, all around the country. And that, Claire, I believe is when you and I first met. And indeed, it was on a trip to China, you may recall. And I can tell any... It was, and a lot of... No, do not tell the tale that I remember. Quite a festive evening in Chongqing with a lot of ACPEP members, and that will stay well and truly off the podcast. If anybody Thank wants you. to know the details, just ping me later. <laughs> I have to retweet these people I invite onto my, onto my podcast. Okay, moving on from – and then you move to – Yes, I've been with for about five years, so I joined the, in a sales role again. Uh, sales director for the Australia and New Zealand University Partnerships business. And I've had a number of other roles here uh, before I became managing director at the uh, middle of last year. And I, uh, as I said, I've been in this sector for 25 years. I consider myself extremely privileged to have uh, been able to work for so long in international education. Clearly, it has given me an incredible opportunities and mobility to live and work around the world. But I also think that international education is is really a benefit for the whole of society because international students, of course, they improve their own lives when they go and study in another country. They get a a great education. They learn a new language. uh, They learn a new culture. But I think, you know, we often overlook the enrichment that they bring to the life and culture of the study that they uh, the country that they study in. And, you know, whether they stay in their host country or whether they go home at the end of their studies or indeed go somewhere else, I think the value of the soft diplomacy they bring with them is absolutely invaluable. Could not agree with you more. And I think it's really important that uh, that we keep that in mind, particularly at this uh, current point in time. So I'm particularly interested, uh, given not just your experience and your current role, but study group has a large global footprint. You've got, um, you know, a a large presence in North America, right through Europe, the Mm -hmm. UK and, uh, here down under. I wonder if you could talk us through from your perspective, how this COVID-19 pandemic is impacting international education here in Australia and, if you can, some comparisons with some of our other competitor countries? Uh, Certainly. Um, Yes, as you say, uh, study group's got quite a large footprint around the world. We've got 45 university partners in Europe, North America, and, of course, right here in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, and I sit on the global executive team, so I do have uh, access to some of the information about what's happening around the world. Um, a lot of it, of course, is a matter for public record. There is certainly no doubt that student flows around the world have more or less come to a standstill, um, of course, for very good reason. Um, I fully support uh, what the both the Australian and New Zealand governments are doing to make sure that the safety and well-being of students and the community more generally is uh, top of mind in everything that they do. Uh, But just because people have stopped traveling doesn't mean that people have stopped studying internationally. Um, There were, of course, many, many thousands of international students uh, studying with both us and a number of other providers and universities, uh, both in Australia and around the world, who arrived before international travel uh, came more or less to a halt. Uh, and we have many thousands more students, certainly at study group, and I know other providers do as well, who were not able to travel, but in any case commenced their studies, uh, which would normally have been face-to-face, of course, online. Uh, well, they're still in their home 
country. Uh, and I think, um, you know, one of the major impacts on international education is that change to online provision. And the really interesting question, of course, is, is what we will learn from our experiences now that we can bring to bear uh, on uh, ensuring the best possible uh, education for our students uh, after this is all over. Uh, I think the the way that the sector has moved uh, to deliver programs online in such a quick timescale has been absolutely incredible. If you'd asked me, and I'm sure anybody else in a position like mine, six months ago whether this was possible, we would have all thought absolutely not. But we've all done it. Um, I think we at study group were particularly lucky, actually, because we already had a lot of materials uh, online, which in any case we use as part of our usual um, technology-enabled classrooms. And you may know that we also own a UK business called Incendi, uh, which is a leading technology solution for online education for universities around the world, including uh, very prestigious universities here in Australia. And that grew out, actually, of the EdTech labs at Imperial College London. So they've clearly got a lot of expertise in this area, and we've been very privileged to be able to draw on that experience in uh, making sure that we are also offering a world-class online education. But, of course, you know, education is not just about education. Um, as we said before, uh, it's a lot of it's a, it's about uh, culture and it's about meeting people and it's about being part of the community. So we have, uh, and others I know as well, have been very careful to ensure that we do whatever we can to preserve the community that we, we would normally have uh, when students are studying face to face. And, you know, clearly, I'm very proud of the way that our academic team has stepped up and, and made sure that we're providing our students with a great education. But all of our staff um, have really, really shown um, the way that they put the student at the center of everything that they do. You know, whether it's providing accommodation support, because, of course, many students are still here and they need that support, student welfare support, uh, and even working very hard to make sure that we continue to main our, maintain our clubs and activities uh, online so that there is the opportunity for students to connect and form relationships outside the classroom, even though they're situated all over the world. So there's been huge impacts. And I think the real question is, what will we learn from it as a sector in the years to come? That's fascinating. And I didn't actually know about the, uh, the EdTech uh, part of the business, so uh, that's something I'll need to go and find out more about. Um, can I ask you on that in terms of the uh, online delivery and still really keeping connected to your students who aren't able to, uh, to make it on shore at this stage to whichever country they're going to, how are you grappling with um, asynchronous delivery. I saw there was an article on the BBC website just the other day and some students, uh, including uh, from the UK, who were studying in Australia but caught in the UK wow. were, you know, setting the alarm to get up at 1.30am for their economics lectures and things like that, which I could understand but didn't seem to be terribly accommodating. So actually the, it's in, the UK is an interesting case and the way that the UK 
certainly in the pathways uh, area is dealing with uh, the online um, with online education is is quite different from what we're doing here in Australia. So um, it's no secret, of course, that most students studying pathways in Australia are from Asia and predominantly from China. And of course, Sydney is in the same time zone as Beijing. And it's not many time zones away from most of our other key markets. And so we are able to provide synchronous delivery as well as asynchronous delivery in a time zone, which is reasonable for the vast majority of our students. But of course, we have to make asynchronous delivery available as well. Um, it's quite mm. different situation in the UK where most of the students also come from Asia because, of course, they're many time zones away. Uh, and so the, the way that the UK is dealing with this is much more in terms of asynchronous delivery. But as I said, you know, if you, if you do check out Incendi, you'll find that they, you know, as I said, they, they, they grew out of the EdTech Labs at Imperial College London. They're very much an education focused platform. Then it's not a bunch of guys who are into digital who then get into education. It's a bunch of people who are in education and then got into digital. So the way that they structure online education and what we've learned from them, uh, is, is to structure the course in quite a different way from the way that a course would be structured if it's delivered face to face. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll be very happy to share that with, uh, anybody. It's not a trade secret. Uh, and we want everybody to be able to deliver the best education because I think that's the best outcome for the sector as a whole. Couldn't agree more. And I'll get the website address right. and we'll put that in the, uh, in the notes to, uh, to this episode so people can, uh, uh, have a look if, if they're interested. Let's step forward, uh, to let's say the end of 2021 heading into, mm -hmm. you know, 2022. So looking 18 months ahead, if you can, what well, do you think that, international I mean, really education looks like stuff, then? But I think, you know, I would start by saying, I would start by looking at the situation we're in now. There's absolutely no doubt that we are all suffering. We're all having to tighten our belts right now. And the financial woes of the universities, of course, um, are a matter for public record, but not just the universities. There are many other providers and other service providers, such as student accommodation providers, who have invested huge sums over the years in infrastructure to support uh, international student cohorts. And the truth is that, you know, whether or not student flows return to pre-COVID levels, you know, with the end of this year or sometime next year, there is no doubt that the whole sector and all of those wraparound services are going to feel the effect of this for years to come. Um, then fast forwarding further into the future, what I would say is I can see no reason why the macro environment, which has resulted in the large student flows, which have increased so much in uh, recent years around the world, will change. Um, so, for example, one of the drivers of people going offshore to study is a lack of high quality tertiary infrastructure in their own country. That's something which takes decades at the very least uh, to address. So that's that's not going to change anytime soon. And um, Claire, you and I are both parents, of course. And 
we want, as do all parents, something better for our children than we want for ourselves. And that, of course, part of that is education. And those who can afford it, I have no doubt, will continue to send their children overseas um, for a better education and a, and a better life because because that's what humans do. And, you know, we have conducted research in markets and many others have. And all the research is showing very clearly that the vast majority, over 90 percent of students who intended to study offshore uh, before the coronavirus uh, pandemic hit us, still intend to study, uh, still intend to study offshore. And, uh, and I can't see any reason why that would change. I think what we need to ensure, what we as Australia needs to ensure is that we remain a destination of choice for international students when the travel restrictions are eased and things do begin to get back to normal. And again, the research is showing that actually the way that the government has handled the pandemic situation here, and again, also in New Zealand, uh, compared to the way it's been handled in some other countries, particularly the UK and the US, um, has played extremely well. And there is uh, beginning to be a shift uh, in sentiment in market towards this part of the world. Now, so I address your actual question uh, in terms of the next 18 months. Uh, I am looking into my crystal ball, but what I can say is that the picture in the crystal ball changes uh, every time I look at it. Uh, there are so many things going on, so many factors which affect this, that whatever yeah. I thought, whatever I was absolutely sure about a week ago, I'm absolutely sure is wrong today. And whatever I think today, I'm sure will be wrong uh, next week, um, you know, clearly, clearly the easing of travel restrictions and the way that the, the way that the pandemic plays out is going to have a huge impact on the way that student flows, uh, return as, you know, when they return. I've no doubt that they will do. Um, I have spoken to the Minister of Education on a number of occasions in the past weeks and I'm, I take a much reassurance knowing that um, international student mobility is absolutely very much on his mind and uh, on the mind of the government more generally. Um, and that uh, the uh, government will, you know, make the right decisions at the, at the appropriate time with the appropriate advice when it's safe to do so. And they've clearly got more information in that regard than I have. What I think is news for Australia is that, Programs like ours, pathway programs, remain open uh, and they remain popular, even delivered offshore uh, online in a way that nobody ever thought would be the case, uh, which is keeping the pipeline of international students open to Australian universities um, so that when the borders reopen, uh, students who have completed their pathway program online will still be able to come to the Australian University of their choice and get a great education, which is great for them. But of course, you know, the, the Australian universities are so important, of course, in their role as uh, educators of Australians. But, you know, let's face it, the, uh, the international student flows make a huge contribution to the Australian economy and, of course, to the, to the Australian job market.
Sure do. Thank you very much. That was a, um, a great run through and I would agree your crystal ball does the same thing mine does, that this is a pandemic the likes of which we haven't seen before uh, and it is really difficult to uh, to accurately assess how things are going to go. But I think as we're t- recording this on the 22nd of May, um, uh, we're in alignment and I don't speak to the Minister of Education, but I do keep an eye on what the government and others are up to. And I think uh, your sense of how this is likely to play out Fits with mine. I do think um, globally, international student flows will continue, will, will come back. Uh, that this is a, a temporary uh, change of, of um, status uh, in the sector. I just wanted to ask you one last question, if I might. Um, yeah. And you've talked about it a number of times. The use of online learning to engage students at the moment while they're in their own country. Do you think there's the possibility that that has a continuing and longer-lasting impact? You have to look into your crystal ball to see what the effects will be. Uh, It does require actually some change in regulation to make that possible. Um, But I know that the regulator, you know, Texa in particular, have been, I think, very appropriately flexible Mm -hmm. in the way that they've interpreted the uh, regulations over the past months. And I know again that they are thinking about how things might change, uh, going forward. And we're all in this together and we'll all figure it out together. But, um, you know, you talked about student engagement online. Very interestingly, and I've heard this from other providers, including large universities. Uh, actually, many students are more engaged online than they are face to face. And I suppose, you know, I grew up when a telephone was still something that was fixed to the wall and had a wire on it. But these are, you know, real digital natives that we're dealing with now. They live their whole lives online. They live their whole lives through screens. And they actually find the interaction through a screen to be more personal and they're more engaged. Uh, so I think we, you know, the older generation, we need to change our mindsets and, and, and really buy into that. And and why not? Why not study part of your course offshore and part of your course onshore and part of your course online and part of your course face to face? I think that, you know, people expect a lot more flexibility and a lot more personalization in everything that they do nowadays. So I, you know, agree very much with the premise of your uh, question that there will be changes and it's something that we are putting a lot of thought into now i can't say exactly what they will be but i've no doubt that 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 will happen alex it is always a pleasure to get to chat thank you so much let's stay in touch and keep aligned Uh, we always seem to think very much the same thing and it's always a pleasure to speak to you too And that's it for this episode of What Now? What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector.